Welcome to Video Storm. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 2001 Robert Altman film, Gosford Park. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? Doing great, Sam. Morning. Uh, Barrett, this was uh, this was a really interesting film to watch. Now, here is the uh, th- this film has a mystery uh, of a sense uh, in in it. it. It has a murder mystery plot to it. So here's the mystery that I wanted to unravel um, upon watching this. Um, so this I watched this movie with my wife, um, and it was it was a little bit of a strange setting because we watched it on. Um, we watched it on Tuesday night, and my son, I, I apologize that I'm saying to you, my son wanted to watch the Red Sox-Yankees game, and I know as a Yankee fan, that didn't end well for you. <laughs> um, so we watched it We watched it on a smaller TV in our bedroom, and uh, she was very excited because she's a big fan of things like Downton Abbey. She's a big fan of murder mysteries, and we got to the end, and she said, it's strange because that has everything I should like, and I felt like she didn't love it. And I really, I really liked it, and especially upon reading a little, reading more about it, and I rewatched part of it. Um, I found myself really liking it, and I will say this is, this has some things in it that I'm not naturally drawn to. So that's a mystery that I've started to unravel. But maybe in our conversation, we can figure some of that <laughs> stuff out, or I'll put out my theory for that. So to start with, what is your history with Gosford Park? Uh, I have a very clear memory of seeing Gosford Park. Would have been in the winter of 2002, as you noted. It's a 2001 release, but it really didn't go wide until after uh, after the turn of the year. So I went to uh, the Lagoon, Lagoon Cinema in Uptown, and uh, I watched I watched it there. In fact, I just have a very clear picture of uh, of sitting there, and uh, I was full of expectation for a number of reasons. I I've known Altman since Nashville came out in '75 which I saw in the theater as well. Um, but I remember just, just eating up all the British actors I was waiting for, uh, being disappointed that Derek Jacobi had such a small role, um, but loving Helen Mirren. Uh, she's one of my favorite actresses, and of course, Maggie Smith. So yeah, was, that was a very vivid uh, theatrical experience for me. However, on revisiting the film, I was a little bit disturbed at how little I remembered of actually what happened. Um, you know, I had a large impression there were a couple scenes that were in my mind, but otherwise, I really, I had forgotten that the murder happens fairly late in the film. Um, I had forgotten there was relatively little of Stephen Fry as the detective. Um, so there was, and, and, I, and I forgot that he hadn't actually solved the murder by the end of the film. So... <laughs> So actually, I'm curious. What are the things that 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 what are the scenes that stood out? To you? Maybe let's get to that question later. Let's get because I want to I want to stay on a a line of of questioning here. So things that I need to know about you as we're talking about this. Are you a fan of Downton Abbey or things like that? Uh, in general, yes. Okay. Yeah, in ge- in general, I, I did I did enjoy Downton Abbey. So, uh, although I confess I did not see the film, but I did I did watch the whole series. Okay, so I'm going to put my cards on the table and say I have tried on multiple occasions. I've been in lots of rooms where people that I'm related to are watching it, and I, I just I can't I can't get into it. It's a little too soapy for me. Um, so 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 I will say I went into this movie with a little bit like okay, this is written by the showrunner for Downton Abbey. It's it basically it's uh, Downton Abbey before Downton Abbey. I mean, he he even thought about that series as. Gosford Park, the TV show, for a while, and then it became something different. So it has some, it has some DNA there. So that was something I was a little nervous about. Um, second question: Are you a fan of murder mysteries? 
That that's a very yes. In general, I I am indeed a fan of murder mysteries. Yeah. Okay. And I've put already put my cards on the table on earlier episodes that that's not something that particularly like that as a as a selling point is not necessarily something like ooh great a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're good, but but I'm not in like a an automatic. You mm-hmm. know, I I uh, my wife loves Agatha Christie, and so for her i've read a couple books and i'm just like eh, it's just not it's not my not my thing so so this had two things that i was really concerned like oh, i don't know if this is going to be for me um so part of what i think um well okay i'm going to save that thought too uh let's talk about robert altman because i want to i want to come back to unwrap unraveling my mystery a little bit um this is a, a is this the last robert altman film no, actually, Altman's last film, interestingly enough, was the 2006 Prairie Home Companion. Oh, that's right. I forgot yeah, about I totally yeah, forgot about that movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then, um, uh, he died shortly after finishing that film. So this movie has, um, from what I haven't seen a lot of, of Altman, I've seen Prairie Home Companion. I totally forgot about that movie. Um, I've seen The Player and I've seen The Long Goodbye, mm-hmm. um, which is weird. There's some big gaps, uh, some big, like obvious Altman movie gaps that I haven't seen. Um, if, if those are the ones that I have seen, but, uh, when we think about him as a filmmaker, he's a very particular kind of filmmaker or interested in a particular kind of film. Um, what would you say are the hallmarks of a, of an Altman film? Uh, the moving camera. Al- Altman is famous for using two cameras at once. Uh, overlapping dialogue, um, deep focus, uh, scenes in which we have, I mean, and in this sense, Gosford Park is kind of a classic Altman picture, scenes in which we have a lot of different players moving around. Um, Altman kind of loves to set scenes up and then let actors, he doesn't always block it out. He just kind of lets actors move where they will. Uh, there's a sense in which there, there's kind of a paradox about Altman in that I think he's both naturalistic and, and, and artificial. Uh, and so I think what he really is striving, though, is for a kind of a kind of realism, which is why you get the the kind of overlapping dialogue. He's very interested. He's much more interested. And this is interesting about Gossard Park, because he would say he's much more interested in character than plot. Uh, you know, a typical Altman film kind of goes on for a while. Um, I mean, Nashville is that way. You've got 24 characters in Nashville. Shortcuts is that way. This film is odd because it's both Altman-esque in that he's got all these characters running around. And at the same time, it's a murder mystery plot. So it's a very interesting combination of, a, of genre. And Altman, Altman, if he engages with genre, likes to tweak the genre. So in a sense, that's what he's doing. Part of what I referred to earlier, the fact that it's a murder mystery with no solution. Um, there's a solution for the audience, but there's not a solution for the people uh, within the film. Well, okay. And I think, I think we've started to unravel my mystery here, which is why did I like this film? I, I am on record, I think on this podcast and definitely in other uh, talks I've given at Bethel uh, as somebody who's not a huge fan of plot myself. Like not that I'm not a fan, it doesn't matter to me. Like I'm, I very much am interested in character and moments uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the books that I, the novels that I like and a lot of the films that I like. So I'm thinking I maybe, I maybe. Altman might be my kind of filmmaker is part of what I'm thinking because I, what I, my takeaway when I first watched the movie was this is a murder mystery. Like it has all the pieces of a murder mystery, but it doesn't seem like he cares that much about it. So I felt good to read about it and realize there's all these quotes where he says, you know, it's not really a whodunit. It's more of a, who cares who done it? Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like that is a, is a vehicle to like reveal some things about people 
but it's it, you know because I got to the end and I had I because I because of the situation I watched it and I was like did the detective not do anything and then I saw so that I watched the the ending again and was like yep that's what happened and I thought that's a, such a strange but I but I really like that because I'm not if it became when 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 Sir William died I was really nervous that everything was now gonna shift from this movie that I was kind of intrigued by to like well now we have to go worry about this mm. and, it, and he doesn't do that so I think that's that's a that that's one piece of why I liked this movie and my wife was maybe a little colder on it um the other thing is uh I I kind of wonder if Robert Altman wouldn't like something like Downton Abbey now I will say I don't know I don't I I'm somebody who hasn't watched Downton Abbey, but my sense of it is that it is uh, both critical and fairly loving of most of the characters in it, both upstairs and downstairs from the little pieces I've seen that it's, it's maybe less interested in being as critical as um, Altman is about the people upstairs. I could be wrong on that. Cause again, I've seen only bits and pieces. No, I mean, I, I've seen, yeah, I've seen Downton Abbey all the way through and, and I should also add, um, Sam, that not only do you have Maggie Smith from Gosford Park in Downton Abbey, but her manservant in Downton Abbey is Jeremy Smart, who is one of the downstairs uh, characters in Gosford Park. Okay. Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, there there really isn't, uh, Downton Abbey doesn't really have a satirical bone in its body. It, it, uh, it, it certainly there are characters that are less liked than other characters, but Downton Abbey is much more, over the course of the series, it's much more a historical record of how this way of life gradually faded away. The great, you know, the great manor house uh, and all this, and, and, the li- and the life of the servants, how that gradually became democratized. So to me, Downton Abbey is more of a historical chronicle than it is a social commentary. Whereas Altman is real and Fellows is really interested in making a social commentary. It's a conflict of upstairs and downstairs of aristocracy and, and commoners, upper class and lower class. Yeah. So I think what I was drawn to and really liked about this was that this is, I think this, I like the satire quite a bit. And, yeah. um, and it's the, it's a satire that's not leaning too heavily into uh, satirical comedy. It's, it's, mm. but it's satirical. And, um, I found moments in this film deeply, deeply, deeply affecting, uh, in, in, in kinds of ways. So, so, so I think that, I think that's part of the, part of why, like I was drawn to this because I don't, like I said, I don't know that he's as interested in the stuff that something like Downton Abbey's about as much as he's interested in, in a kind of commentary. Um, one of the things that you mentioned, uh, that I, that I was also a thought that crossed my mind as I was watching it was like, wow, it's a huge cast. It's also a great cast. Yes. Uh, and I think this movie would have been so much harder to watch if there wasn't enough familiar faces because the people I didn't know all started to kind of look the same, but I could at least be like, Oh, okay. I know this actor. So like that's grounding me a little bit and they're doing a, I, I'm not seeing them as the actor. I'm seeing them as the character, but at least that there was enough faces there where, where I was like, Oh, okay. I know Michael Gambon. Okay. So that's, that, that helps me like, no, okay, that's who this character is, Maggie Smith and, and a couple other people. Um, so so who were who were what are performances that kind of stood out to you? Well, first of all, Sam, I want to say that I, you may not know this, but I don't I don't I don't know if you read about this, but Altman said that was in fact one of his casting strategies. 
He wanted to be sure that the faces were different enough and that there were enough recognizable faces that people would be able to, to keep straight who was who. Well, I mean, I, I think that, well, I, I guess there are probably four perform five performances that stand out for me. I mean, the, the, the first two are the really obvious ones, which are the two that got Oscar nominations, uh, Maggie Smith and um, Helen Mirren. Uh, there and they and it's interesting that it was one of the upstairs and one of the downstairs performances that 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 that, uh, that got those nominations. So I, I you know every time those either of those is on screen, my I'm just riveted. Um, but Emily Watson uh, as Elsie is is really good. Um, I really liked Alan Bates. Um, I always enjoyed Alan Bates. It was about halfway through the film before I realized, oh wait a minute, that's Alan Bates. Uh, and then the other one I really liked because she's kind of the octave of this film is Kelly McDonald uh, as Mary. I mean, she's really, to me, uh, if there's anybody who kind of serves the same function as Octave did in Renoir's Rules of the Game, she's the one that kind of um, serves as a sort of a surrogate for the audience because she's sort of new to the upstairs world and she's new to the downstairs world. And I thought she's a she's a wonderful actress. I've enjoyed her in a lot of different, different performances. So those were kind of, if I just had to pick five, those are the five that kind of stood out for me. Uh, but I could keep going and say I love Clive Owen and anytime Clive Owen shows up, I'm always happy. Yeah, I will say I I made a list and of, of four, and you basically just ticked off my list of of performances. I particularly loved Kelly McDonald in this. Um, the other role that I recognize her in uh, from is oddly No Country for Old Men, where mm -hmm. she plays this woman from like West Texas, and I didn't realize she's actually Scottish. I think because mm -hmm. yeah, she uh, does such a great accent in No Country, I just assumed she was like from Oklahoma <laughs> or something. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I really think she's great, and and I had the same thought that I feel like this, even though she's not in every scene, I feel like she is. The, she feels like a point of view character for the whole story in a way that Renoir didn't have, I feel like didn't have a character exactly like that. Octave is that, like you said, is the closest thing to that. But even Octave doesn't feel like, um, doesn't feel like Mary because I feel like, as like you said, Mary's learning about all of this. So you get the great scene where Mary first comes in. Well, actually, the, the the great scene when the car pulls away at the beginning and he's like, you need to go around to the back. So then she's chasing after the car. So you realize right away she's she's out of water. She's out of her depth. Mm. But then when she walks in and starts to get all the instructions about the house and how, how the downstairs works, I will say I loved that stuff. And I wonder if I loved it in part because to me, that stuff was brand new. I felt like Mary, where I was talking to my wife and I'm like, is that the kind of thing you see in, in the other shows like this? She's like, oh yeah. And she, my wife started to rattle off all these like conventions and rules about the downstairs people. And to me, it was, it was like, I was introduced to that world for the first time in this movie. I guess I loved it, Sam, because it's a familiar world for me. So I'm old enough that I go back to the original upstairs, downstairs, on PBS in the early '70s, and it was just full of that of that uh, of that kind of stuff. The other thing I want to say about Kelly McDonald and uh, the, the fact that she is um, using her, I assume, her native Scottish accent, although I feel as though she was laying it on a bit thick. Um, but I love the the, the the joke right about the Ryan Philippe character, and and everybody saying there's something not quite right with him. And it, to me, it, it, a little bit of the joke is that Americans don't always do a very good job doing British or Scottish accents. And so I kind of like the fact that you have a real Scotswoman, and then Ryan Philippe, who to my ear sounded pretty authentically Scottish, but they can kind of smell a rat. Right, and I, I do love actually that piece of casting because they could have 
had a, a Scottish character then do an American accent, right. but instead it's another recognizable face where I was like, why is Ryan Philippi in this? Like, that's a, so, so I was all, and I realized Altman's probably doing that on purpose to be like, yeah, don't trust, don't trust everything you're seeing here. Cause it's a strange piece of casting unless you realize mm-hmm. who he actually is. And then you're like, well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, because he it, well, it's it's it, it, it's it's wonderfully meta cinematic, right? Because mm-hmm. he he has been cast in the role of the of 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 the of the manservant, so he he's ca- he's cast in the role twice, which is great. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about this movie visually because that was another mm-hmm. thing that was uh, pretty stunning to me. Um, I again, I haven't seen uh, a lot of Altman, and especially I haven't seen a lot of Altman in a long time, but. <clears throat> reading about uh, kind of how he shoots things with the two cameras. It's fascinating to listen to the to actors talk about the experience of being in this mm. because there is a lot, there's a lot less of a so- sense of like, well, this shot is my shot and then we're going to do a reverse shot of this. And instead it is, you know, things are moving around. So actors, because there's multiple cameras and they don't know what's going to be used, they're sort of always acting. So yes. they compared it a lot to being a stage actor where if you're on stage, even if you're not the central part of that scene, you're never, you're never not on camera. And that's kind of the, the spirit that Altman uh, uses, I think when, uh, when filming this stuff. So that creates some of that realism. It, it, yeah, it, it also requires a different kind of energy from the audience. And Altman's very, very aware of that. Um, to me, it's, it's a lot more, as you said, it's a lot more like a theatrical performance. And, I, I would always tell students when I was teaching Shakespeare and we go to a play, I'd always say, well, one of the things about watching a play is you should be looking not only at the people that are speaking and acting, but look at what the people who are on stage who are not saying or doing anything, look at them as well, because they have to be remain, they have to remain in character. And so when you have a, when, when Altman does this cinematically, rather than the kind of a classic two shot, you know, where all you're doing is paying attention to the people talking, you actually, it actually rewards your attention to check and see what's going on in other kind of corners of, of, of the room. And so, as you say, it really creates, a, it really enables the, the actors who even, so, so that means that even the actors who don't have big parts, right, or even speaking parts, they still have parts because they're on, because they're in, in the frame the whole time. So think about all those kind of anonymous kitchen maids. I mean, those those people are acting, even if they're not actually speaking. And I, I feel like like a lot of those, uh, a lot of the scenes, both upstairs and downstairs, felt like uh, like Altman looked at uh, Renoir's like the the big party scene in in uh, you know towards the end, especially that long tracking shot where you're cutting in between, you're hearing mm-hmm. slices of dialogue, you're seeing little things, and it's like Altman said, "What if that was a whole movie?" Mm, yes. <laughs> it's like it's like we're gonna shoot everything like that because because Rules of the Game has moments where Renoir is doing that, and I feel like Altman's just just saying that's how we make a movie is like that, um, and it but it's interesting how. It feels, I feel like in Rules of the Game, my sense was, wow, how complicated were these shots to put together? And now it makes me wonder, like, like <clears throat> how blocked out was what Renoir was doing? I presume it had to be to pull some of that stuff off. But Altman feels a little more freeform with, with some of that stuff. Because I also sense some of this is put together in the editing, too, then, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and Altman's films are, um, there's, there's always a script, but he always leaves a room for a little bit of improvisation as well. So he, there, that's, that's, that's why kind of the fluidity of the film actually echoes or mirrors or embodies the fluidity of 
of how he films, if that makes any sense. The other thing that I like about the way that the story is told then is there are plot lines which you could choose to ignore and like you wouldn't it wouldn't like make the movie fall apart. So it's not like a like a puzzle box where it's like, well, if you didn't catch this person saying this, then then all of a sudden nothing will make sense. But the more you catch, the more things makes the the more things make sense, the more something that happens later in the film, you're like, oh, remember when this guy was talking about that? But it's not it's not essential that you have to have all of that. So like, I think about the guy who's trying to get boots in the Sudan and it's like, that's like an interesting through line, but you could take that whole plot out and the movie doesn't fall apart. It doesn't, it doesn't rest on that, but it's enriched by that. And there's a lot, and there's so many things like that where, you know, if, if you thought, and this is where it like, where, you know, like we were saying, like the plot is, is all of this, but none of it hind- very little hinges on you have to catch this thing. Well, it's it's one of the reasons why I think it's a film that stands up to repeated viewings uh, because of that, Sam, because you can pay attention to different things. You can have a different sense of how things come together. In, in, in some respects, you know, a, a good murder mystery, if it's a good one, and, and this is partly because it's not driven only by plot, even though that's how we often define murder mysteries. A good murder mystery should be just as enjoyable the second time through as the first time through, if not more so. I mean, my my comparison, my literary comparison would be Jane Austen's Emma, right? The, 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 the first time you read Emma, you have no idea how some of these relationships actually work out. You don't really know what ultimately the mystery is that um, Austin is kind of hiding or the things that Emma is unaware of. So the first time you read it, there's a lot of revelation. The second time you read it, there's a lot of irony. And I think that that, you know, films like this can work that way because you're, you're not waiting to see what's going to happen, who's going to be murdered, who did it. But going in with the knowledge you already have of the characters and their relationships, the whole thing just kind of deepens. And some of those things that were tangential that maybe you didn't pay attention to or couldn't couldn't hold on to because you were paying attention to other things, then you can then you can notice them the next time through. And that really shows you how kind of intricately and well constructed uh, the film is. Absolutely. A couple other things that I think connect to to the rules of the game. Uh, there's a lot of great long, deep hallway shots mm-hmm. where things are happening in the foreground and the background. And um, so it's this is an interesting movie because within these long shots, you're getting a real sense of space. But at the same time, I'm not sure I fully understand the space of that house. Which is people because people are going through these stairways and they're constantly saying, no, not that stairway, this stairway. So I don't understand this the space as a whole, but I understand whenever I'm in a space, all of this space is used. Which is one more way in which we in which we actually uh, sympathize or identify with Mary, right? But what's interesting is the one space you do know exists both literally and uh, and metaphorically is upstairs and downstairs. Mm-hmm. You may not know exactly where you are in relation to different parts of the building, but you know whether you're upstairs or downstairs. Well, and a lot of that is done with light and dark too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the the downstairs scenes are so dark um, and and so 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 that that creates an instant cue to be like okay we've now moved here we're in this location um and i think the difference between the upstairs and downstairs is really interesting with the the denton character because he's the only one who halfway through the movie flips his allegiance basically like 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 what 
literally they even say what team he's on, right? You can't be on both teams. Yes. So, and he's, he's trying to, when he comes back downstairs and was like, I, I just was, you know, I, I, I wasn't trying to be mean. I was just trying to do this, but how they turn on him because of that is, uh, is interesting because we, mm. we think of, these are the folks who are oppressed or we could, I mean, if we wanted to use schoolyard terms, these are the people who are bullied by the people up top. But then they also are like, like for someone like that who 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 has crossed over because of revealing who he is, like they are they um definitely ostracize him too. So he's like cast out of the downstairs, which is interesting. Well, it, it, what's also interesting about that as well is that there is a certain kind of traffic between upstairs and downstairs that's allowed. But okay, this is this is kind of the rule of the game, right? Which which um. Maggie Smith is teaching Kelly McDonald. You you need to tell me what the uh, what the gossip is downstairs, right? And Mary at first thinks that's some kind of a, of a betrayal, but what she has to learn is no. That in a sense, that's your function. Uh, you have to let me know what I, I as Lady Trentham. I find out what's going on upstairs because of the information I get from downstairs. Mm-hmm. So somebody like Denton kind of throws that system into disarray. Because you can't be you can't be both upstairs and downstairs. There's a particular way in which information from upstairs filters down to downstairs and 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 back again. So there's that one scene where I can't remember who the characters are talking, and somebody doesn't want to say something to somebody else, and one of the servants is there. He says, "Oh, that's nobody. You know, don't right. don't, don't don't pay attention. Don't worry about that." Which is really interesting because we know that that's not in any way the case. Because whatever you say will probably get to somebody else at some point. So I did. Yeah, I also yeah. thought it was interesting in those scenes between uh, Mary and Constance, though, that the gossip travels in both directions. Yes, that Constance is very happy to like pass along juicy bits that that she knows she's sending back downstairs. So she's playing the game that way. And then there are moments where she's like, "I would like you to not share this piece yes. of information," <laughs> um, which which I feel like those are um, those scenes because we we see. Th- that between those two, but not between a lot of the other characters, um, it it helps to humanize the the Constance character a little more. Um, because one of the things that I I uh, as, as watching this, and maybe I'm tipping my hand a little bit, like I, when they were setting the table, this like elaborate table, and it was just there was just so much stuff. And yeah. I I turned to my wife and I just said, "This is kind of disgusting." Like like I just realized like I'm. I'm clearly not drawn to this world. And I'm like, there, this is this, there's something gross about this. Um, and then I realized when I got to the end is like, wow, this movie is full of monsters. Mm. You know, it's, I mean, like, like the, the, the biggest example is William is, is a, is a literal predator monster. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but a lot of the people, uh, especially the upstairs people, like he doesn't, um, uh, he paints them all with, in some pretty in some pretty dark dark ways i mean even constance is like if you actually pay attention to the way she interacts with people like she's kind of off she's funny but she's kind of awful and like yeah. like it's it's like not a person that i want to spend time with other than she's really witty and she's a perfect example of that the person you know who's like they're really witty and funny but they're not a good person necessarily yeah, yeah and, and and if and and that's exactly who she is in downton abbey in fact even more so you know, she just, she's always 
always got these zingers, these these moments, and uh, like I, I love the way you know everybody. I mean, but I like it in a way, Sam. Everybody else is swanning around oh, Ivor Novello, right? And she's like, "Oh my gosh, would he just stop already?" Right. <laughs> Don't encourage him was one of the great lines. <laughs> I kind of like that, actually. I kind of, you know, it's like she's not afraid to. Um, well, well, there's well that, that's there. that's not even what I mean by by. I mean th those. I think I think that's just pretty funny. But I think there's also moments where, uh, and this happens a couple times in the film, where people upstairs are talking to to their servants and saying, basically explaining how hard their lives upstairs are, mm. and it's like. Think, think about what you're like, 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 it's like they, they're not even think like when the guy's downstairs eating the jam, mm. I can't remember which character that is. And he basically is complaining, Commander. you know, yes, yes. Why do some people all get everything that they want? And it's just like, do you realize who you're talking to? Yeah. Somebody yeah. who lives there. And, and, and the, the Maggie Smith character does this with Mary at times and mm -hmm. does this behind Mary's back as well. Mm -hmm. You know, talking about how difficult it is with, to work with Mary and all this stuff. And it's like, you should probably, you know, you should, you should probably think about what you're saying and who you're saying it to. So, so like, that's where I'm saying like, yeah. or it's not even the witty comments, but it's like, or, or kind of the, the cutting comments, but there is this whole sense of like, you're, it's the ignoring of the people downstairs. And I think one of the great examples of it, which, which works comically is the inspector. Mm -hmm. The fact that we have the inspector and constable who are themselves upstairs, downstairs. And yes. like, and the, the inspector cannot fathom that someone downstairs <laughs> would do this, that he would not bother asking them. You know, it's like, Oh yeah, we're not even going to, going to question them. And I, and like that, that is, it's so funny. And then at the same time, you have the constable constantly pointing out, we should does that for fingerprints. He's the one who's going downstairs and is talking, you know, to, um, I think Jennings and is like, well, maybe the butler did it. And, you know, all these <laughs> things. And it's like, he's, he's ignored and he's partnered almost with this guy. Like, so, so, so I, I just think, I think the, the way that they so deeply ignore the whole world that is creating the world that they live in. Oh yeah, like muddy footprints. Why would we pay attention to those? Uh, when he points out the broken cup, right? Doesn't doesn't Thompson say something like, "Oh, you know, they've got people to sweep that up." So it's and 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 I love the fact that he actually never manages to get his full name out. You know, mm -hmm. my name is Tom, and then he always gets he always gets cut off. So yeah, he he actually is probably the heaviest-handed satire of the upper of the upper class. Completely clueless. I do also love because, uh, I, again, because Mary is our POV character, um, she, I think she helps to humanize Constance even more. Because I do think that scene at the end when they're getting in the car and mm -hmm. and Constance is concerned about having to maybe testify in court, and it's it's interesting that she turns to Mary for comfort because mm -hmm. you also realize like this is a person who's all alone, and mm -hmm. as much as she is biting to Mary at times and things like this. They do share these moments. They share this gossip and, and Mary is the, the one person in her life who can kind of try to give her comfort or, or, or have a conversation with her in that way, especially when she's leaving this party and, you know, probably going to be home alone. And, and, and Constance is a dependent. I mean, mm -hmm. she has, you know, she has to rely on this, uh, on this, um, uh, amount of money, this, uh, amount of money that she gets from from William and even though it's uh, an allowance supposedly settled on her for life it's clear that she's sort of at the mercy of his whim and so she herself has that kind of 
well, a little bit like Octave, a little, a little bit of a parasitical character in, in a way. And even though she lives in what we would consider to be a pretty grand house, she clearly has a very limited staff. She's trying to save money on her on on Mary. So she herself, I think that humanizes her a little bit, although it doesn't necessarily give her a greater regard for other people. Mm -hmm. There is also that... <laughs> I feel like he gave the Maggie Smith character so many little little moments to to round her character out in different ways. There's the moment when she's eating, I think she's eating breakfast in bed, and at first she's complaining about the like like store bought preserves or something. The marmalade, then, it's the marmalade, marmalade, yes. Marmalade. But then there's something else on the tray that she gets very excited Ooh, about, this. and it's yeah, I can't remember what it was, but it was just like this great. It was this this great moment of like, oh, she's also happy about something finally, <laughs> too. And uh, you know, so so I think I think uh, some of that stuff goes goes a long way. There's one other if, to make the uh, another uh, Renoir connection. I mean, there's one other obvious just quote in this movie, which is the 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 shooting scene. I got so excited when I was with Anne. I'm like, this is just rules of the game now. Like, like you know how much it how much even the shots of it look the same mm -hmm. and when you have the people going through um the woods you know to, to scare up the game and um i just got excited about that seeing seeing like this as such a that is such a direct quote to say we're going to put this as this centerpiece in the um in the movie but i just love it you know fe pheasants instead of rabbits so it's yes it's it's, it's a it's a it's a it's an illusion but it's not a replication right right um Another scene that I think was was really interesting. We talked about the uh, Novello playing the piano and mm. and you know and everybody uh, kind of ignoring him a little. I mean, certain people fawning over him, but there's generally like you know not paying a ton of attention to him. But then you see all the servants like crowded around listening in, and like it's so interesting because he's performing for these people who are at least acting like they don't care. And then below him are all these people who are so excited to meet him, so excited to listen to him play the piano. Like, 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 it's like he's giving this gift, and I don't know that he's even aware that he's giving a gift to these people, but they're so excited for it. And I love that kind of cutting back and forth there. Yeah, and he and he seems to be a truly kind character. You know, he takes notice of, um, you know, I, I forget the name of the character who's. Uh, Everybody who's everybody is always ignoring or insulting. She's only brought one dress. Her husband mm -hmm. has been cheating on her, and she's sort of the closest thing to the downstairs people because she's not really born into the society. And he's so kind with her. You know, asks her to sit on the piano bench next to him. Um, and so it's interesting to me that the the character, the one character based on an actual historical character, is actually um, one of the more sympathetic of uh, of the characters. Yeah, and then and then also, I, mean, I guess we should also mention the um, there is one other American character, which uh, yes. I like. I like having the kind of um, the 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 real outsiders to this world. So Novello is kind of an outsider to this world, or like a somebody who who can move in these circles but isn't really part of this. I mean, he talks about how he uh, he makes his living imitating them, uh, but then you have the Bob Balaban character, who uh, I just love because his way of speaking is just not like anybody else in the character. And he's having these long phone calls that everybody's kind of listening in on. And he, I mean, so, so he gets to be the kind of American presence in this. Um, and uh, I, I really, I really find his, whenever you have the outside characters, whether it's Novello, whether it's the Philippi character, who's, you know, doesn't understand the rules between the sides or the Balaban character that they also kind of like Mary get to be observers to, uh, to this world, and that helps to point out 
strange uh, strange things about this whole setup and some of these rules. And it, it, and it also gives you another meta cinematic moment because even though the Balaban character is not anybody historically uh, accurate, but uh, there really was a film that came out uh, a couple of years after this film was set called Charlie Chan in London. And that's what he was doing the research for. The other thing I love about this is, I, is Ivor Novello was actually in two versions of The Lodger. Um, and Maggie Smith has that wonderful, you know, reference to the fact that the 32 version was a flop. He was in, um, he was in Alfred Hitchcock's 27 version, and then he was in the 32 remake. Uh, and so that's, that's, so when she talks about it being a flop, she's talking about the second one, uh, which was a talkie and the first one was silent. Um, I, the, there's one other scene that I loved, um, well, it's 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 a it's a pairing of scenes, and it's uh it, it is it's they're they're Helen Mirren scenes, mm -hmm. and I have to say, I mean, I know Helen Mir Mirren really well, and turns out he's like I didn't even recognize her right away. Like I was I wasn't I was like oh this I I, I like this character, and it took me a while to be like oh that's Helen Mirren, <laughs> I just you know I, because I think I'm thinking of different versions of her when I see her, and this mm -hmm. is a you know um uh but the scene at the end when Mary doesn't confront her so much but when mary realizes uh what she what uh what mrs wilson did yes. uh with the poison and goes in and talk with talks with her about that um and i do love that mary solves the case and no, mm -hmm. you know nobody else does but but mary figures this out um and and goes and talks with her and she gives that speech about um you know being the perfect servant and mm -hmm. what is what does it mean to be the perfect servant it's about anticipation yes. and then she she ends by saying i'm the perfect servant i have no life so mm -hmm. there's this sense that like she has sacrificed and she's so what i love is she's so like um out of necessity and understandably just like cold in that moment yeah and then we get the next scene where mm -hmm. she's she goes into the bedroom and uh, mrs croft comes in uh, and you just see her destroyed by yeah. like, like it's, this is her, this is the one moment you see her getting to be herself and not be this role that she plays. And like, it's just gutting to watch. And I don't even think she, she almost says nothing in that scene, but mm -hmm. just sits there and cries. And, and, you know, and we know about this sort of tension between the two sisters and we see this moment where they sort of come together on this. And like, that is, that's just a great, just a great scene uh and and i think both times i saw it especially the second time i saw it and it's the kind of thing every time I, this is a movie i will go back to and every time i get to that scene like it's gonna kill me in a kind of way like it's just great yeah and you know mrs croft her sister is another one of the great british actresses eileen atkins uh, who i really also also enjoy one of the things i love about that scene sam and it's kind of typical of the movie itself as i said at the beginning um you know, Altman takes genres and kind of gives it his own spin. And so that's a trope, right? These two characters who are at odds with each other throughout the film and they hate each other and they argue over who has the uh, uh, authority over which servant. Oh, it turns out they actually share a tender moment at the end of, of comforting each other. And they're actually, they're actually kind of allies after all. I mean, that's a trope, right? But what he does with it is he, it's, so much, it's so much deeper. So by the time you you get to it, it's like that that reconciliation, if that's what it is, or that moment of tenderness is is so deeply earned that you don't feel as though it's being done just because that's what 
the 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 trope demands but because that really comes essentially out of the nature of, of the characters so again it's altman working within a certain plot structure but making sure that it's actually character driven yeah and i and i i don't i don't work under the illusion that they are now going to be best friends i feel right, like that right, tension no, so, no. but it but it is this moment because even the things that the sister is saying are like kind of comforting but kind of not she's like well at least yeah. your son's alive yeah, i mean it, you know and so so it's it's not even necessarily somebody saying the right things at that moment but it's but they're they're sharing that moment another thing oh. i love about about those two sisters i was reading i think in the original script they weren't sisters but mm. altman kept looking at the two actresses and were like man do they look alike <laughs> we should we should make them sisters which makes that even it makes that even stronger but it, it was in part he just kept looking at the two actresses and saying they, they could be sisters. Why don't we why don't we do that? <laughs> but 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 it also points out the the way that he's also subverting the genre a little bit by just leaving strings dangling. Mm -hmm. So you know you might also say that another trope should be that um, Helen Mirren and um, and Clive Owen should have a moment of recognition and a moment of unification. But he's not going to let that happen um, because they because it, it it wouldn't happen. So. so then, so I think there's the, the, the other sense in which um, the, the reality of how life unfolds or how people behave, he doesn't allow that to be kind of co-opted by the, the, by the demands of Hollywood plotting, if that makes any sense. In other words, Absolutely. You know, you know it's, it's like if it follows a pattern, but he wants to be sure that it's true to certain kind of social, cultural, emotional realities. Well, because it's what's interesting, too. I mean, another thing would be that the the case would have to be addressed at some point and solved. And in fact, you know, like, well, it's, it's not going to be, and it's actually the, the fact that the, that, uh, that the case isn't, that this isn't brought, I mean, that's why she can't say something to him. So, so she actually can't have that moment because she can't go to him and say, mm -hmm. I'm your mom, you know, like, 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 like the rule, the rules don't allow for that. So I, I actually really, um, it means that that movie ends in such a strange way too, yes. where everybody just kind of drives off. But even that feels so real. Yeah. You know, it, it, it has this feeling of like when you have a, a big party or go or, or like go on a trip with a bunch of people. And then it sort of has the feeling of like, well, then everybody goes their separate ways. And yeah, like I, 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 I like that. It's, it's a strange ending because the things that you feel like things should be building to don't happen. Um, but that, that, that in, in some ways makes it more powerful. Well, you know, I mean, you, you could, you know, I suppose if you wanted to end on kind of a strong emotional note, you could end with the Eileen Atkins, Helen Mirren scene or something like that. But you're right. I, I think the, the way that everything just kind of dissipates at the end, that's, that's very true to life. So are there other things you want to talk about with this film? Well, actually, I, I think what I want to talk about is not so much about the film as kind of, I want to just say a couple words about Altman's influence. Um, and and well, a couple things about Altman. First of all, I mean, Altman was capable of making great movies. You know, I mean, he was nominated five times for, for Best Director. Um, and he was capable of making some pretty almost unwatchable films. Um, he went through a long period of kind of from, well, Popeye in 1980 was a big flop. And really from Popeye to um, the player in 92, he was sort of ignored. But he didn't care. I mean, Altman always said that 
that he was a very happy person because he always pretty much always got to do what he wanted to do. And he, he, he didn't disdain audiences, but he also wasn't as concerned about having big popular success as say the studios were. Um, but Gosford Park was, I believe, his second highest grossing film. And it really was a very, you know, very, very, a high career point for him, along with something like Nashville and, and, uh, and MASH. The other thing I want to point out is that he's had a, a lot of influence. Um, some of the uh, directors that, that say they've been influenced by him include people like Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, Richard Linkletter, uh, uh, Alejandro Inaratu, Noah Baumbach. Um, and in fact, uh, if you look at some of Paul Thomas Anderson's films, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and Inherent Vice, they're basically Altman-esque films. And in fact, uh, Anderson himself said, I've stolen from Bob as best I can. And he dedicated There Will Be Blood from 2007 to, to Altman. So I think one of the reasons why Altman is revered is not only because of the work that he did, but because of the influence uh, that he's had on, on other filmmakers. He's kind of a if I can put it this way, he's kind of a successful Orson Welles in that, um, like Welles, he was a maverick, but unlike Welles, he was kind of always able to get work within the system, even if it wasn't always his best work. That's interesting to hear those because as you as you listed those names off, I just was like, oh yeah, I can I can see like pieces of DNA uh, in some of the, especially PTA. I think uh, you know some of those. Uh, some of those films i can i can see that if someone were to were to uh say i really like this someone were to even say wow altman seems like my kind of filmmaker like i said at the beginning of this what would be what would be the another altman film you would recommend i would go right to nashville okay i think that'd be the, the next obvious one uh and then after that i'd probably do shortcuts and and, and the player um, yeah, but I, I mean, Nashville was actually one I wanted to do with the, with the podcast a while ago, Sam, but it's not readily available in some of the places we send people to, uh, but, but absolutely Nashville. Yeah. I have to say, I have seen one other Robert Altman film because you, you reminded me of this when you said this. I remember as a very small child um, on television seeing the, the Popeye movie and not knowing what it was, but it's like, oh, Popeye. And I remember watching it and just thinking, what is it? How did this get made like what is this thing i mean i was i was too young to have that thought and i had that thought of like this is deeply strange and why did somebody make this and i think i was like vaguely maybe vaguely aware of robin williams as a person um so this would have been like early mid 80s it was just on tv and i re just remember just being confused by it <laughs> It's a, it's a very strange film. Um, I, I, I'm not sure it's as bad a film as its reputation says, because I think it's partly because um, because people <laughs> people didn't take into account this is going to be an Altman film. This isn't going to be your dad's Popeye. Um, but it also was a very it was a very troubled production. There was a lot of drug use going on, and yeah. it just it just wasn't a good a good scene. It seems like such a strange choice. Yeah, it is an odd choice. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, but of course, so Altman did Altman things with it, and of course, that didn't please. Yes, it kind of <laughs> makes me want to watch it now. I may have to do that just to sort of <laughs> sort of see that. Uh, so, what do you have for us next? Well, I think you know. Um, I have to remind remind our listeners that uh, what we're doing right now is still coming out of the French New Wave, right? Because we went back to rules of the game as an inspiration of the French New Wave. Then we went to uh, Gosford Park as a inspired by rules of the game. So I'm going to do one more New Wave connection, um, which also is going to connect us with one of my favorite genres. Uh, but this is going to be a, a French take on noir. So this is a French neo-noir 
which is one of Jean-Pierre Melville's best films. It's called Le Samurai from 1967. Um, and it's, I think it's an amazing film. I haven't seen it in a number of years. I'm really looking forward to rewatching it. For those of us who are on the Criterion channel, it's in a Criterion edition with some extras, so you can lap it up. Oh, fantastic. This is a movie I have heard of, I know nothing about, which is the, those are, those are like, two of the best things you can say, right? Um, Cause I'm very excited to watch this, to go into this totally clean and, uh, uh, and then to do some reading. So thank you so much for recommending Gosford Park. And I really do mean, this is a movie I would have never watched without this video, <laughs> without this podcast, because on its face, it just doesn't feel like something I would enjoy. And now I really do think like, I kind of want to watch it again this week. I'm really interested in, in tracking different things in it. And, um, and I, I do think that, more than rewatching Gosford Park, I feel like I need to go on an Altman kick because I think his sensibilities and mine connect uh, in some ways. And I, I think I want to I want to go down that path some more. But um, that is all the time that we have this week. We will be back next week to talk about La Samurai in the videos. Store.